Hi, I'm Brandon Fleshman. Welcome to Stick to Sports Biz, the podcast that will help you get to know the people behind some of the coolest jobs in sports. After graduating with my master's degree in sport management from the University of San Francisco, I've spent the past decade in the sports industry working for teams like the Oakland Raiders, San Francisco Giants, and Stanford Cardinal. Media companies like Bleacher Report and The Athletic, and consumer products like Under Armour. My network mostly consists of sports professionals, really smart, amazing people who I'm constantly learning from and who I really admire. The problem, as is often the case with social media, is that most of these relationships are superficial. I really don't know much about my online friends besides what they do for a living. That's what led me to this podcast. There are already a lot of great podcasts covering sports business, many of which I listen to and enjoy. While I gain an understanding of the specifics of the guest job and how they landed their opportunity, I often still find myself wishing I got to know the person behind the work and why they pursued a career in sports. So why this podcast? I think sports business is one of the most unique industries in the world. Like the on-field product, the work going on behind the scenes is super competitive. Sports business is notorious for things like unpaid internships and 12-hour workdays. If you don't want the job you have in sports, there are thousands of people eager to take your spot. Some would even do it for free. Let's say you want to be a social media manager for an NBA team. There are only 30 of those jobs in the world. Those roles are hard to come by, hard to keep, and sometimes hard to live up to. There's so much more to these people than what they do for work, as cool as their jobs may be. And I'm fascinated by these people because I think they all have incredible determination, grit, and relentlessness. But there's more. Behind every sports professional, there's a story. And I'm here to find them. The title, Stick to Sports Biz, is a riff on the expression, stick to sports. I believe that athletes shouldn't stick to sports, and sports professionals shouldn't stick to talking about or tweeting about their jobs. There's so much more that makes a person who they are. Some of these things might be small, like your favorite music or movies. Some of them might be big, like social issues or mental health. This is a safe space for guests to express themselves and let the world know who they really are. Whether you work in sports or aspire to get a foot in the door, my hope is that you will learn a great deal about the people behind your favorite sports teams and brands through this podcast. You might not learn the ins and outs of their day-to-day roles, but you will learn who they are, what makes them tick, and how sport has shaped their lives. It all leads back to our common love of these games we grew up playing and watching. So let's dive in and meet our first guest. She is the former entertainment and guest experience coordinator for the world champion San Francisco Giants, currently working not in sports, but in tech. She also happens to be my wife. I hope you'll enjoy my chat with Grace Fleshman. All right, well, off to a rough start with the Zoom. Thanks for bearing with me. How is it downstairs? It's great. Dogs <laughs> snoring nearby. <laughs> sure. Sounds typical. Mm-hmm. Well, I know that you didn't necessarily sign up for this, and it's part of the job as wife, but appreciate you uh, humoring me on this. I, I think... You know, given that we met in grad school, 
pursuing our sports management degrees. And given that we both worked in sports, we have somewhat of a unique take and maybe some people will be interested in it. Um, when we were talking about doing this, even last night, you were a little nervous. Why is that? I feel like I have a lot to say, some of which might be mildly interesting and some that might be wildly interesting. And I would like to strike the balance between the two. Mm -hmm. um, keep it chill. Yeah, well, I'll do my best to uh, stop you if you get out of control, but I <laughs> don't think that will happen given that you're talking to me and not a total stranger, which is part of the point of why I wanted to have you first. You know, I'm definitely no expert at this, even though I've done a podcast before I thought I could kind of put the training wheels on by talking to someone I know very well, but I think it will still be interesting for me too, just to kind of relive this as there's like a lot of memory lane kind of throughout, um, the questions I have prepared. So I want to start way back when, when you're just a little tyke and you, you really were like raised by this baseball family. I think it goes back even generations, but your, your parents were big San Francisco giants fans. You're raised in the Bay, you know, went to games as a kid. So tell me a little bit about the impact of baseball on your early life. Yeah. So my family is a Bay Area sports family, the normal variety that you get out here, but special interest in football and baseball. And that kind of goes for all of the teams that are out here. Um, but I remember when at the time it was called Pack Bell Park opened, um, I got to go to an opening game um, or the opening series the last couple days uh, before the season began um, for my birthday. And it was a huge deal. My parents played it up a lot. I think I spray painted or like put an orange streak in my hair. It was very, very early fangirl days. Um, and I think really what stuck with me first and foremost was the energy of being there versus the game itself. Um, but the more that I went and the more delighted I could see that it made my dad specifically happy to see that I was interested, um, the more interested I became. And I started um, following the team um, quite closely. Um, and uh, really pouring over um, the Giants website and stats uh, and really jumping at any chance that we had to, to go to a game together, or watch at home. And it really did become something that was always on in our house. And I was always relied upon to provide the win-loss record. How far out of first are we? How many uh, games behind are the D-backs? Um, that sort of thing. Uh, and it was a it was a really formative um, period, those first several years that I was interested in baseball. I love that you mentioned like the energy because I, I can definitely relate to that. And I think anyone who probably works in sports had some moments similar when they were young, like going to a sporting event and just being like, I want to be a part of this. Like, how can I make that happen? Um, so you talk about, you know, really diving in deep on the, on the stat side. And, you know, I think especially for a kid, like that's 
maybe a little unusual to be so in the weeds early versus just, you know, watching it and taking it at face value. Do you think like, it was any part of that to like, please your dad or to have a closer relationship with your dad? I wouldn't say that. I think it was just a great byproduct mm-hmm. of being interested. I think that something that's a little unusual about my interest in those stats is that I quote unquote, not good with numbers or in other words, it's not exactly my biggest interest. Um, but it was very fascinating to me to see all of these different ways to evaluate what a player brings to a team, to a game, um, measuring against themselves, measuring against others, um, measuring across leagues. Um, and all of that was really interesting for my young brain to even fathom that numbers could be interesting outside of school or applicable outside of school. Um, and I think that it just so happened that my dad was also a huge baseball lover. And, um, as the years went on, as it became more involved, um, at the ballpark in various ways, um, that love continued and it became a thing that really bonded my family and it did keep us united at times where we were separated. Um, like when I studied abroad, that's the, during the first time that the the Giants went to the World Series um, back in 2010. So really in my more recent years, not their first time ever. Um, And and through so many different years since, including as I worked there. I know you played volleyball as a kid. Did you ever try to play baseball or softball? I tried to play softball for about two weeks. Uh And then I said, nope, maybe next year. And of course I knew never again. (laughs) I did play, um, like Y ball or T ball when I was younger, but, um, I'm really, I wasn't an athletically gifted child, um, nor do I consider myself an athletically gifted adult. Um, I do enjoy being active, but, um, the coordination required for sports is, above and beyond my uh, current abilities. I really respect anybody who um, has been able to wrangle uh, that skill set. It's okay. I think most people who work in sports probably did so because they can like play professionally or something like that. So (laughs) it was a way in to uh, stay engaged with their favorite sport. I feel like you think no. Well, I was just going to say, I feel like that's <laughs> like the saying of like those who can't teach yeah. or whatever. Yeah, I don't know if that's true. Um, maybe. Those who can't work, those who can't play sports work behind the scenes. <laughs> no, maybe, maybe, but, um, but no, I think for, for me, it was more about the admiration of uh, that I had for the players that could excel at such a high level. Um, and you mentioned I did play volleyball. I was decent. Um, to give you an idea of how decent I was, I got um, most improved player two years in a row. That's a lot of improvement. Huge. Huge. <laughs> um, and that was back in middle school. It was only a couple of years and um, not so much a sports person did more theater. Yeah. Well, that's okay. Um, but when did sports or baseball specifically start to become kind of like a dream job in your eyes, you know, or you mentioned theater that was that 
kind of one of your first passions you pursued um, over sports? So in college, I studied communications and I had the goal of being in front of the camera. And I thought, you know, I don't have the athletic prowess to be a professional athlete. Um, I enjoy theater, but I don't know that I can handle constant rejection. And maybe somewhere in the middle, broadcast journalism would strike or kind of hit both boxes, so to speak. And so I thought that it would be really awesome to be able to be close to professional sports, whether it be minor league or professional um, in a media capacity, because it would also give me the ability to perform in a way. So I started thinking about sports uh, journalism um, as early as when I was applying for college. Um, But it was always kind of a passive thought. Um, And as I neared the end of my college career, I um, started seriously thinking about where can I go next? Where can I actually start to invest my time to see if this is something that works long term? And throughout it all, I continued to be really, really interested and excited about baseball. So I was specifically seeking out opportunities that gave me more exposure to um, Major League Baseball. So, and by the way, I can hear Ozzy like snoring in the background. Our little French bulldog. (laughs) Just a little uh, slice of life at home with us. Um, You mentioned trying to pursue broadcast journalism. So you know, in my mind, I, I feel like you, and it could just be because I'm four years older than you, or because I kind of struggled out the gate from college to kind of find those, my footing and my first jobs. Um, I feel like you kind of started to have success pretty early. Was that kind of surreal to you? And did you see it that way? Or in your mind, was that like, you hadn't accomplished anything yet? My initial toe dipping into um, the sport and entertainment industry was at uh, ABC7, uh, KDO in San Francisco, at their sports desk. So a lot of time spent watching games, scoring games, watching tapes, uh, logging tapes, <laughs> um, and occasionally getting to go to a game and be at pressers or gather post game sound. Uh, and that was a real thrill for me. It really felt like I had made it, uh, when I was able to be on the sidelines at a, uh, at candlestick or in the locker room, um, at the ballpark. But my first experience working for a team was the Oakland A's. And I was, a promotional team member. So I was a member of the the herd as it's called there. And, um, that was awesome. That actually was so much fun. It was a perfect job for a new college student. Um, sorry, graduating college student. And I was happy to be there for a couple of seasons before I, uh, snagged my internship at the giants. So you mentioned that at channel seven sports desk, you kind of working on the sidelines and stuff, you already felt like you had made it? I think that in a sense, I thought 
if I never get to do anything else like this, this was very cool. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so I... So you appreciated the opportunity you had when you had it. Exactly. And I think that there was this thought of, this seems really awesome. This gets me pumped. Um, how can I have more of this? And my idea of, of what my job in sports would actually look like started to shift and evolve the more exposure I got. So if you felt like you had kind of made it and you had really accomplished a lot by having that job, then what did going to the A's feel like? You know, you're in the tunnels, you're behind the scenes, you're doing all this stuff on the field and in the stands. Did you feel like, you know, this is, I've definitely found like my niche. This is what I want to do. I would say no, because people in sports are very quick to remind you that it's not as glamorous as you think. It's not as easy as you think. It's a very small world. There are not that many jobs. And so in a way, it, while it seemed very exclusive. Um, it was also very apparent that there was a long way to go before I would really feel a sense of confidence that I could develop some sort of career out of what I was doing versus having a nice side job while I pursued that career. What about working at the A's, like growing up as a Giants fan and having a family of Giants fans and then going to work for the A's did it, you know, in some ways it's like a cross bridge rival, you know, um, some people like both, but I would say they're in the minority. Uh, so did that feel like a betrayal in any way, or were you kind of like quick to fall in love with that team too? Quick to fall in love with the team. Yeah. I think, like I said, it's, sports jobs can be hard to come by. And in some respects, you're like, I have to take what I can get. In this case, I really did apply to this job with interest. And um, once I was in working in this part-time role, doing these silly promotions, running around with a camera, running around the warning track, it all seemed like it would get me closer to where I wanted to be and start opening my eyes to what actually the inner workings of a sport organization looks like and what opportunities there there were there. And sure enough, it did prove to make some great connections along the way. Um, but the cool thing about my time there is I happened to be there when the A's were also a really fantastic team. The Giants at the time were also a very fantastic team. And um, so it was kind of a best of both worlds situation. Um, and my family also became very interested in the A's. Yeah, that's well said. And I feel like I can definitely relate to, you know, you can't really be picky, especially if you aren't going to move really far or you're not open to moving wherever in the country the job is. If you want to work in sports, I think, you know, a lot of times you'll take what you can get, especially when you're trying to make a name for yourself and build that resume. So when I worked at the Raiders, for example, you know, I, I definitely was not a Raider fan. I, I had a lot of Raiders friends. So in a lot of ways, I grew up kind of hating on the Raiders and there was never a doubt in my mind, like, should I not work for this team? It was like, this is pro, this is legit. And same with Stanford, because in some ways I grew up like a, a Cal fan, if anything, like a Cal Bears, um, just because I wasn't 
really a big college sports fan. So I just picked like what was kind of closest to home on like the D one level and then working for Stanford quickly just was like, well, now I'm a Stanford fan. I think that's just kind of the way it goes. You have, if you're not going to root for the team that you work for, it's going to be like a a long road. (laughs) Yeah. You at least have to have some element of pride. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So yeah, I totally agree. So you're working at the A's, you're Mm part-time, would you say? Yep. Uh-huh. And you decide immediately after graduating um, from Santa Clara, where you got your undergrad, that you're going to pursue a master's in sports management at USF. You go to orientation on July 5th, 2012, and you meet a young Brandon Fleshman. What was your first impression? <laughs> um, Don't hold back. I remembered you from an exchange on Facebook. That's good. Those were the days. Um, and Those days are over, maybe for us, but not for <laughs> everyone. I thought that, well, I think that I was really nervous. <laughs> You're being nice already. <laughs> I was really nervous and I was a little intimidated um, because you seemed to know your stuff. Um, and yeah, that's it. (laughs) I don't know. What should I say? You should tell the truth. You, what did you think that I was, uh, I had my head up my butt pretty much. <laughs> okay, I'm going to rewind. You thought I was like too cool for school. Okay, one second, one second. Just let me start <laughs> over. <laughs> okay, so <clears throat> I remember that you came over to talk to me and I felt intimidated um, because you carried yourself oh boy. with what I read to be a lot of confidence. No. Yeah. Def- definitely faked, but. I'm glad that you saw it that way. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I was super Late, nervous too. Later to find out, not confident. <laughs> okay. Well, no, I wouldn't say kidding. that, but. I'm just kidding. But um, I remember telling you later in it, this is kind of sappy, but being like, mm. I didn't think that someone who was so cute could also be nice. <laughs> <laughs> so at the time I... I was kind of just, you know, imposter syndrome, fighting my way through that the entire night um, because you really don't know the backgrounds of a lot of people who were there. There are people who were aiming to be professional athletes. There were people Mm -hmm. that worked at retail stores. There's really um, people of every age. And so it didn't really feel... um, an immediate sense of connection to, to really anyone. Um, but I do remember our conversation and the, the first night was fun to hang out. Yeah. We, the whole cohort went out to a local bar and we had one of our first real conversations, Yes, which is feels like forever ago, doesn't it? Yes. <laughs> what and then do you, you do? Left. <laughs> Yeah. And then I left. Well, we won't, we don't need to get into that. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think of 
your time in grad school. You know, I think a lot of people wonder about sports management degrees and if it's right for them and if it helps them. Um, you kind of already had a foot in the door by the time you went and got your master's. Did you, did you think it helped? Did you find it put you in a better spot? I think a lot of people have that question. And for me, I would be able to say unequivocally that it was worth it. Um, but I got a lot of things out of it due to good timing. I got my internship at the Giants, which I guess we'll get into. Um, and I got a quality education, but I also got my husband, which I was is wondering awesome. If you were going to say that. Yeah. <laughs> and for that reason alone, it's kind of hard for me to say you 100% have to do this. Oh, yeah. um, in, in my opinion, I don't think anyone working in sports 100% needs to have a master's degree by any means. Mm -hmm. What I will say for me personally is that it helped me buy some time to be able to do things like internships, right? Um, because I didn't have the time when I was in a full-time student in college, um, I was a double major. There was no way that I was also going to be an effective intern um, uh, during a baseball season, um, living you know forty five minutes to an hour away from any major league teams. Um, and so, having the ability to then be part time in school pursuing my master's, and then also working part time at the A's, and then soon after that, getting a part time internship with the Giants having the ability to do all of that at once, uh, was great. I mean, I also had the privilege to be able to do all of that at once. Um, I didn't have to have a full-time job and I had the opportunity to pursue further education. So mm -hmm. it's not an option for everyone. Um, the fact that I had it available to me, um, I'm glad that I, I took advantage of that. I'm grateful for that. Um, but I think people can make it without those, uh, kind of extra pushes, but no doubt it helped me. Yeah. It's very case by case. I think you can't blanket recommend it to everyone, but definitely helped us, um, in, in more than just the one way of meeting each other. But, um, so you mentioned that you went from the A's across the Bay to the giants and with that internship, you know, did immediately when you got the offer or like on your first day, like, did that feel really surreal? Like you had grown up loving this team, you know, at a young age kind of fell into the giants lore and following the, all the player stats and watching games with your parents. Did that feel like kind of a dream realized? Yeah, that, that was pretty surreal. And I would say what was really interesting about that season was that I continued to work part-time at the A's. So I was working part-time at the A's, then kind of like moonlighting as an intern, <laughs> trying not to have everyone know I was doing both because it is, right. seemed like a weird conflict of interest and also going to school. Didn't you get like some brushback on like Twitter <laughs> and stuff for like kind of playing both sides? Um, it's a good question. I mean, I think that, um, you're always going to get some, some trolls, um, or when you're in a position like mine at the A's, there were a lot of people who just recognized you and then be like, I don't know, drawing those conclusions. Mm -hmm. I do think that what was 
really great about getting the internship was I knew it was going to be a crash course. Like I think at that point, um, as a young person, as a young, um, unmarried person with, you know, as I said, privilege to be able to do what I wanted to do. Um, I knew that I could commit a ton of hours and just soak in as much as I could not expecting, uh, you know, too many dollars in the bank, but more so a breadth and depth of experience um, that hopefully would lead to a bigger and more long-term position down the line. And so you actually, you know, you interned and then you ended up getting hired on. And, you know, that is really a testament to your work ethic and your abilities. It is a big deal. And as your partner as kind of watching from the sidelines like very exciting to to see you kind of rise pretty quickly and let alone with this team that I knew you loved and that was really successful on the field you know I think during the time that you were there they won two championships right like did you just kind of have this I'm on top of the world feeling like just really uh living on the high there there were moments where I felt that way. There were moments where I knew it was once in a lifetime. Being in Kansas City, seeing Game 7, seeing the Giants win the World Series, I knew I would never see that again. And so I think that there are moments that along with getting my World Series ring from Bochi and uh, Larry Bear and and all those guys, moments where I was with, um, you know, the Giants announcers, a uh, crook and Kipe and having a, you know, relationship, working relationship with them was awesome. And then of course my, my mentor, Rennell Brooks Moon is the PA announcer at the Giants. Um, I still feel flabbergasted <laughs> that a voice that I listened to for so long is someone that I talk to regularly about being (laughs) (laughs) about being a woman in the workplace um and uh yeah she opened my eyes to a lot of things that um i still value and evaluate um in my job today um but uh you know i think that as with anything sometimes the glitz and glamour that you expect um, isn't always there. And that's because it's a job. Like mm-hmm. At the end of the day, it's a job. There are real people working there um, behind the scenes to make things happen. It's a very demanding schedule. There are long days. There are late nights. And uh, you kind of do have to roll with the punches in terms of what I was doing was really in fan experience. And so if the team was good, my job was a lot easier. If the team wasn't doing so well, which happened to happen a couple of times near the end of my time there, it was a lot harder to keep going. Um, I don't know if I ever felt, you know, this is the pinnacle. I've reached it because I've always believed in myself and my ability to to do more. And I think that actually played into why I eventually ended up leaving because I did feel that I had the opportunities um, to do more outside of um, baseball. Yeah. Well, you mentioned like you're at the Channel 7 news desk. You feel like you made it in a way. And then you kind of keep having these different moments, which, you know, might happen in a lot of people's careers. But I think in yours, 
you know, the championships and everything that comes with that. Like you could keep having those moments again and again, like you mentioned being in Kansas city and then, you know, winning the other one in 2014, it's like another I've made it moment, you know, which in the grand scheme of things, like maybe the people behind the scenes don't have a lot to do with what happens on the field, but maybe we want to think we do, but yeah, a lot of exciting moments along the way. Definitely. So you mentioned leaving the Giants, um, which I'm sure, or I actually know, was a tough decision. Does it feel like the right move? You know, it's been several years now since you moved and you moved into tech, which we live in the middle of Silicon Valley. It's, you know, tech is everywhere. We're really fortunate to have a lot of great companies and opportunities around us. Um, But I'm sure that leaving sports after all you had done to get there was a difficult decision. Um, How does it feel now? It was a difficult decision and I put it off for a really long time, even when I started to have doubts as to whether or not it was my forever home in terms of career. But I don't regret it at all. And that's not just because I work at a fantastic company and I love the job that I have now, but also because of the possibilities that it's opened up for me um, and our family. Um, I cherish having nights home. We have a son now. I don't think that I could fathom now being um, away from him. But that might be a little bit of the pandemic of it all speaking. Um, But um, I really admire folks who decide that this is the forever career for them. Um, It was not for me. I have experienced tremendous in mental health benefits um, from from leaving the sports world. And that was the right decision for me. Yeah, I think. For a lot of people on the outside that don't recognize how difficult it can be in the hours and in a lot of situations, the low pay, maybe like the the people, the different dynamics that you might have to deal with. Again, especially as a woman, it can really put a strain on you. And I know I can only speak from my experience of working in social media, which is really like a 24-7 job. Um, I put in a lot of long days and nights, but being part of the game day entertainment, you know, means getting there early and leaving late. So I know that had its challenges for you too. I think one thing that I really admire about you is you've been really kind of forthcoming with your own like mental health struggles. And, you know, you are very much in agreement with like wanting to break the stigma around mental health. It's something we all deal with. We should all talk about it. You will post on your personal social media about it, um, you know, without really hesitating now. It might have been hard in the beginning, but, um, you know, I think it's not only something that is important to me as well, something that I struggle with as well, but um, something that I want to talk about on this podcast and be really open about um, in hopes that when other guests come on, they'll, they'll talk about it. So, you know, I think it's probably cathartic for you to share those stories, but, you know, in your own words, how, how has that been to be open about that? I think that there was for me a lot of shame in the beginning as there is for so many people. And I struggled for 
over a year before I got a diagnosis that made sense. And once I got a diagnosis that made sense, it felt like a weight being lifted from my shoulders and a burden being lifted from my psyche um, to know that there was as crappy as it may be a reason or justification for how I'd been feeling or even how I'd been acting as my diagnosis is bipolar two, which is a disorder um, that's marked with hypomania and also major depressive episodes, which is my baseline. My baseline is being depressed. Um, I think talking about it has been a real revelation. Um, when I decided to change jobs, I kept a lot of my mental health struggles to myself. Um, and they did play a role in my decision to change industries. And I decided that wherever I went next, I was going to be more open about my mental health because I wanted to invite other people to do the same in the same way that you're mentioning right now. And it actually was that experience of understanding what it felt to have a struggle that I was covering in the workplace that made me realize that everybody has struggles. Some are conspicuous, some aren't. Um, and it's what made me really question, what am I missing about other people with my limited worldview of being a white person from an affluent background, um, being college educated, um, what else is there? And I was really ignorant to all of that until this point. And it really opened my eyes to this idea of like what's under the waterline when we're looking at an iceberg. And there are some things under people's waterlines that they really need support around um, and that they really need to be validated around. And so being open about my mental health was a way of reclaiming some time that I lost in struggling on my own and being afraid or ashamed or guilty to be struggling when I know and I knew then that my life is objectively good and to still be sad. Um, it felt like a betrayal of other people. Um, and really self-centered. And now I know that that's not the case, but it took a lot of self-exploration and a lot of story sharing to understand that. Um, and now I get to work in a role that enables me to help other people come to the point where they can be honest about their differences, their struggles. And also we can provide a an environment um, where those things can be recognized and celebrated and voices can be amplified that otherwise wouldn't be. Totally. I appreciate you sharing and being so open about it. I know it's not easy. And and what you do now for the tech company you work for is, is what? I am the manager of inclusion and engagement. And um, we really work to ensure that all of our employees around the world have an equitable experience um, as part of our employee base. And that means uh, evaluating everything through uh, the lenses of diversity, equity, and inclusion. That's great. You know, it's funny, like, <clears throat> I'm sure you remember one of our early conversations together when we were not even dating yet, I don't think. 
was about kind of mental health and how we kind of dealt with it when we were younger. Neither of us had been diagnosed at that point, you know, so we didn't even really know either of us had anything, you know, you mentioned you have bipolar too. I have depression and anxiety. I think what's great about our relationship is how we've been able to help each other through that, through this kind of empathy and understanding of it. And so I just really have appreciated that and, and really having a partner who understands. So I love you. <laughs> we do. I feel the same way. Wouldn't be here without you. Yeah. So it's, it's great that you have more of a work-life balance and among other things that you do in this role. And I can say the same myself, you know, I've been working outside of sports for, I don't know, like two years now. And, you know, a lot of times I think about, well, would I ever go back? Um, I tend to respond to that. I would for the right opportunity, um, but I'm not actively looking to. But of course, I kind of keep my foot in that realm and in some other ways. But curious for yourself, like, is it something you've ever thought about going back into sports? I've thought about it. I don't know that I've thought about it seriously, but I would be inclined to say similar to you. I think for the right opportunity, I would. But what is the right opportunity? Mm -hmm. um, and I think for me, the next kind of big thing would be working for a league office. I think that that's extremely influential in terms of fan engagement. I was really excited to see that MLB hired chief officer of diversity and inclusion. I believe that's her title. She is very cool. I would love to learn from someone in a role like that. And I think that that's really what I would be seeking out of a sports opportunity be the uh, opportunity to learn from someone and have influence kind of across the board um, to really improve in engagement and, and experience for the fan base. Cool. Well, you mentioned, or I talked about too, like how we've kind of been able to support each other with mental health struggles, but I think also just as two people who work in sports, because I don't think it's all too common that a couple works in sports. Maybe it's one of the people and the other person in the partnership is, uh, you know, maybe struggles to understand the, the time that it requires and, mm -hmm. you know, um, the attention that it requires. Did you feel like you were kind of had like a good understanding of that? of the things I was doing because you were working in the same industry? Somewhat. I, I think social media is a bit of a different beast than live uh, production and entertainment. And it definitely is. But I think from the angle of the irregularity of the schedule or how sometimes things are incredibly busy and sometimes there's nothing going on. Um, or sometimes it's, um, you know, hard to take time off or you're exhausted. It really does just come down to how tired you are, totally. <laughs> how hard you're working all the time. But yeah, I, I think there was that. And then I also think that it allowed us to, um, support each other while also kind of relating to the, the sticky parts. All right. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll have some fun. Sit tight. Hey, everyone. So this is where you would normally hear an ad, but I don't currently have any sponsors. 
and that's intentional. I'm not anticipating having any. It would be great if I did, but it's not the plan. So in absence of that, I'd like to use this space as a way to promote your podcast or your friend's podcast or anything else that you might want to promote that you think would be a good fit for our audience. If that's of interest to you, reach out to me at Brandon Fleshman on Twitter. That's at Brandon Fleshman. You can also reach me via email at sticktosportsbiz at gmail.com. That's sticktosportsbiz, B-I-Z, at gmail.com. And we're back. I'm here with Grace Fleshman, who is my beautiful wife. We're going to have a little fun now. I think it was a good conversation. We got into some serious topics so we can let loose a little bit. We have an amazing son named Bennett, uh, who is almost two, believe it or not, creeping up on us. Do you ever think of him potentially pursuing sports down the road and how you might feel about that? You know, thinking, looking up to mom and dad and maybe asking questions about what we did, you know, for different roles. Has that crossed your mind? I do think of it because he's very tall, like a beanpole, and we say he uh, looks like he could play sports or he <laughs> likes to kick around a, a ball with all of his uh, gracefulness. Um, but, you know, I, I think that's something that I have always wanted ever since we started talking about having kids was to make sure that they choose their own path in life. Um, if Bennett is interested in sports, he should 1000% pursue it. I'd be happy to help him along the way. I think, you know, when the time comes, um, if he's interested in something like football, we may need to have a more serious talk just because of some of the ramifications, how serious injuries can be. But if he's more interested in, in kind of the, um, more front office work, I'm sure with his, uh, a little bit more vocabulary under his belt, <laughs> a little bit more, um, education, he would be great in the, in the, in the front office. Don't stand in the way of this dream for us, okay? He wants to be a starting quarterback. (laughs) What about like if we were, you know, let's say we were both working in sports now, what do you think parenthood would be like? How different would it be? Impossible. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I think, you know, things worked out. We got really lucky. Mm -hmm. I think that it would be a lot harder. I think that, Mm -hmm. um, we're really lucky to be in the roles that we're in, um, because it's enabled us to spend time with Bennett while not sacrificing, um, our roles and responsibilities, um, as part of our career. And, you know, I am a career oriented person. I think a lot at a lot of times as a, as a parent or as a mom specifically, there is this question of mom guilt or like, oh, who's at home watching the kids if you're working at this Giants game? And I'm really glad that I don't have to deal with that self-induced pressure. Um, 
because I can say that mom guilt is a real thing. Even when you're doing your best, you still feel like you could do more. And I'd venture to guess that's the same for, for dads too. But, um, I think, I think it would be really tough. And I think that there would be no sleeping. I don't know any couple working in sports who have kids, but I'm sure that there are some, and I can only sit back in amazement because we barely get by as two people in tech working from home with a kid. So I don't know how you do it on a sports schedule. Props to them. But yeah, exactly. If there's one thing I know you love besides sports, it is, as you call it, desserts, (laughs) not snacks. Right. Do you want to, do you want to clarify this distinction? I feel like any listener would agree that there is a difference between a snack and a dessert. If you are going to have a snack after dinner, you're probably thinking popcorn. You're probably thinking chips. You're probably not thinking cookies, cupcakes, candy. To me, those are sweets or treats or desserts and snacks are of the more uh, savory variety. Wow. That is very specific. <laughs> I don't know why they're not just interchangeable. If I want to have, not, by if I want to have a snack after dinner, it can be something sweet. No. You're saying that that's not the case. Dessert comes after dinner and it's sweet. Occasionally there's when maybe does, cheese or coffee involved. When does so that, a that's snack for fancy come? people. When does a snack come? Intraday. Interesting. <laughs> well, well, we'll let or like a midnight snack, midnight dessert. How, okay, midnight snack there, is maybe. I? <laughs> I got you. I should have never mentioned midnight oh, snack. Man. It's an anomaly. We'll let Twitter decide. Um, <laughs> what What is your all time favorite dessert? If you could only eat one for the rest of your life, what would it be? Uh, that's impossible. You have to pick one. Can I just generically say cake or does it have to be specific? No, it's not specific. Uh, Is there a specific cake? No, no. They're all general cake. Okay. Yeah. General cake. I think that (laughs) I thought that too. Well, okay. Here's where I'd like to backpedal and say, can cookies be snacks? Because Oh my God. Well, you're going back on your own thing. If it means I can have cake and cookies, oh, then yes. I I don't even know, understand where we are now. Okay, our, well, our household's in disarray. <laughs> I like cookies a lot uh-huh. too. And speaking of, you enjoy baking cookies. Um, tell me a little bit about what that does for you. Just baking. I love baking. I have definitely gone through my ups and downs of obsession with baking, but um, in the past year and a half, I've obviously had a lot of time at home and I've really fallen in love again with um, baking cookies specifically. And I think what's so cool about baking is that it's art and science all at once. And to be able to throw a bunch of stuff in a mixer and um, have it come out to be something delicious uh, is is really cool. Um, And then to be thinking about how there's, you know, a game of precision involved, but there's also a little bit of a game of chance and then also just luck, I guess. 
um, it's, it's a lot of fun to experiment and see what works. Awesome. You actually just started your own kind of side project. Can you tell me a little bit about what made you make that leap? Yes. So my side hustle is Little Bee Bake Shop, named for Bennett. Because mm-hmm. um, as I mentioned, I've been doing a lot of baking more recently. And part of it is because Bennett has really enjoyed it in the times that I've kind of invited him to be alongside me. And uh, so I started creating more and more cookies. And they're just sitting in our house. So I started taking photos of them, posting them to Instagram. And I had a lot of people reaching out asking, can I have the recipe? Can I have the recipe? Can I have the recipe? And eventually people started asking, so are you selling these? Or are you just trying to make our mouths water? Um, and then I realized in giving away my recipes, I was giving away intellectual property. And I thought there (laughs) must be money in this somewhere (laughs) to fund the purchase of my, um, uh, extravagant ingredients, um, for my, my outrageous cookies. Um, and so, yeah, we'll see how it goes with my sous chef. That's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. You got to protect that IP. And I think, uh, it'll be fun to, to see where it goes, but you know, on the flip side of your passion for baking and desserts is your passion for a specific, uh, workout platform called Peloton. That was just kind of, a. you had talked about it a bunch one Christmas that was approaching and I decided to bite the bullet and buy you one. And, uh, you pretty much fell in love at first ride <laughs> yeah. when you say, um, tell me a little bit about yeah, that. I somehow beat the, uh, the game and was able to grab a Peloton before the onset of the pandemic. Um, so I didn't have an extreme, um, wait time, I guess, but unbeknownst to me, it had been ordered, um, by you and we got it shortly after I gave birth to our son and I took my first ride soon after I was cleared to work out again after giving birth. And I just remember feeling empowered again. And I was juggling so much with my mental health, with my physical health, with taking care of a baby while being on maternity leave, um, not being able to really leave the house too much um, because he's napping all the time. And you had to go back to work fairly quickly too. And so my um, experience on the Peloton was really almost like a joining the Peloton fam, as they would call it, really does feel like that in a way. Um, Because in a world where I wasn't seeing a lot of people and then into the pandemic continued not to see a lot of people, the instructors really do feel a little bit like my friends. Um, I quote them a lot. Um, Everyone at work knows that I am a pillow head. <laughs> Is that a thing? Um, and, uh, and I've actually, um, you know, recruited a number of people as well, including my mom. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yes. I love it. And even I, I don't use the bike, but I use the app to do strength workouts and hit cardio. One of the things I love the most about Peloton as a marketer and a social media manager is yeah. 
just their marketing in general. What do you think they do right? Inclusion. Mm-hmm. They market to. I mean, I don't want to talk too broad strokes. I don't know if this is 100% true, but I think they do it really, really well when it comes to inclusion. Um, I think the representation in their marketing is fantastic. If you follow them on LinkedIn, you know that they do a wonderful job of highlighting their employees, their employee resource groups. They recognize almost every kind of major observation that you could think of in a really tactful and empathetic way. And they've also made commitments to things like anti-racism. And uh, I just think they do the most fantastic job from end to end in terms of theming out their rides, their classes around a specific observance, whether it be Black History Month or Women's History Month, or I think they, they're doing like a community event right now. And they recently did an all for one um, kind of unity event. They carry that throughout all of the other kind of verticals, um, whether it be TV or their socials. Plus, they just do an awesome job with music. I think that partnership with Spotify is like totally. clutch. Yeah. The music's huge. I I get like most of my like new music from Peloton, (laughs) I would say. Well, we're actually going to take a break. And then when we come back, we're going to play some games. Uh, This first game is called Top 5. And we're going to go through our top five Peloton instructors. So we'll be right back. Back with Grace Fleshman. We are going to play a game called Top 5. So here's how it'll work. We both have a list of our top five Peloton instructors. Uh, You will go first as the guest and say your number five. We'll count up to one. If you mention one that is on my list, I'll just jump ahead. You know, they could be my number one and your number five. Mm -hmm. We'll talk about them together at the point that you mention them. um, And we'll just go from our list from five to one. So with that, who's your number five? Okay, so my number five is Allie Love. Okay. <laughs> Do I talk about her? <laughs> okay. Yeah. My number. F- so, tell me so. why. Tell me why. <laughs> my number five is Allie Love, who primarily does rides. Um, she's really awesome. She's one of the only instructors that I have taken live rides from. She has Sundays with Love series that are focused on different kind of attribute. So she's done, I think, empathy or these are, she probably has not done this forgiveness, but like that sort of thing where she themes things out and she brings a ton of wisdom to the table. And um, I think that I ended one of those rides crying. (laughs) It's it's so beautiful. Nice. I know that Allie is a fan favorite, but since I don't do rides, I have not taken much from her. Uh, my number five is Rad Lopez, who actually is a new instructor. We actually talked about it. Um, is he on your list, by the way? He's not, okay. but only because I haven't had as much exposure to him yet. I think he's really awesome. I'm surprised. I know that you love him already. Um, and we kind of talked about it when he started. Is that like he just comes off as like really humble, you know, like kind of had this interesting upbringing. He brings a lot of his personality and flavor to to every class and um it's oh i also like the fact that he does like some cardio boxing which Mm. is something that i'm really into so that's fun but um yeah i think 
with most of my picks, it's the personality of the person and uh, that really sets them apart. Who's your number four? Alex Toussaint. For the playlists alone, he had to be on the list. Um, he plays the best hip hop uh, across the board, I would have to say his playlists are are the best. Um, but he also just brings such positivity um, to his workouts. It always gets me really pumped. Yeah, another one who does rides and I'm not as familiar <laughs> with. But uh, my number four is Robin Arzon. Oh, who, she's my next one. Oh, she's your three. Yeah, but you go for it. Okay. Yeah, she. I mean. Again, like, you know, we, you and I did Orange Theory previously. So I think some instructors kind of remind me of that vibe. And I think to me, she's one of them, but she's just so positive and like motivating. And uh, she just really has this energy of like, you got to give it your all. And, and a lot of times it, it's those kind of people who really do motivate me to just like push a little harder when I'm feeling tired and don't want to get into a workout. You know, she's definitely someone who can like whip me into shape. Yes. What about you? Robin Rosone is an amazing person. If anyone listening doesn't know anything about Robin, get on Wikipedia and read about her. She's super, super cool. And one of the things that I love so much about her as a Peloton instructor, in addition to being like the head honcho of, uh, kind of programming there is that she is a mom and she taught up until the end of her pregnancy or fairly close. And, um, I really admired her way of, dealing with quote unquote haters, you know, there's always going to be someone that says you shouldn't be working out so much. You're pregnant. And I think that her response was just because I'm pregnant doesn't mean I need to pull back on taking care of myself. If anything, I need to continue doing that for the good of my myself, for the good of my daughter. And I want to be an example to my daughter. Um, and I had to watch the ride where, she, or I had to participate in the ride where I knew that she was going to announce her pregnancy because people posted on uh, about it on Instagram and, and it made me cry. And then of course I had to do her ride when she came back and she introduced her daughter and that made me cry. Um, and, uh, yeah, she's total badass for sure. Sensing a theme of crying on the bike. Oh, I mean, <laughs> no, it's cathartic. It's, it's inspiring for sure. Yeah. Well, so she was my four, your three. So I'll give you my number three is uh, another new instructor, Callie Gullickson. She rose up my ranks pretty fast. It's funny. If I look at the classes I bookmarked, she's in a lot of them, which I was surprised. Um, somehow my music tastes are almost most aligned with hers. Hmm. She almost never plays a song that I'm like, Ugh, why did you play this? Which is kind of a relief when you're doing a workout that you can't control the music. And on top of that, again, she reminds me of like orange theory instructors we've had where she does like, I think it's called plyometrics. Yep. She basically just doesn't overcomplicate the moves. They're straightforward. You know, it doesn't need to be some new age kind of move. It's just like, you know, it's, it's pretty easy to target the biceps. Like, let's just do that. We don't need to do acrobatics or something. <laughs> so I appreciate that about her. And also she's just kind of goofy. I don't even know if she would like say as much, but I, I find it kind of endearing that she's just a, 
kind of silly out there. So <laughs> who is your number two? Okay, it's getting really hard between number two mm-hmm. and number one as I as I worried. Um, I, I think Exciting on the spot. Any other day, you could ask me this again, and I might have to swap. So that's how close these okay. these two are. But you're allowed to. <laughs> Tune day um, is mm-hmm. my second slash first favorite. She's totally inspirational. Um, she's absolutely gorgeous. Not that that matters as much, but she is. I <laughs> can't deny it. She has amazing arms and she just has like the, the best story. She really was, you can just tell, called to do this, as she says. And um, as someone who has also kind of been through the ringer in terms of body image and every weight under the sun, every um, kind of experience that she's mentioned, I can relate to a lot. And um, I also really admire her for the activism that she's done on the bike as well. And she is someone that I will be smiling anytime she's, she's on the bike. And she does a lot of different things now that she also does bike boot camp, which is my favorite modality at the moment. Nice. My number two is Maddie Majacomo. <laughs> um, he is just a funny guy. I, I find his energy really infectious. Again, when I'm working out in the morning, having that spike of energy means a lot to me, you know, to just kind of get me motivated, get me up and going. And the fact that he can genuinely make me laugh, which like most of the other instructors can't, it, it like, I actually do appreciate it because it reminds you not to take it so seriously. Like, uh, you know, you might be like really dreading it or just really uh, drudging through it, but to, to get a laugh here and there, it, it makes you kind of enjoy it and appreciate it more. Uh, so now you have to make that difficult call. Who's your number one? <laughs> Jess Sims is my yeah. number one. Well, it's mine too. So <laughs> we'll is. both get yes. to. Yep. I was trying yeah. to narrow down who is your favorite. Um, Jess is kind of encapsulates a lot of the positives that both of us have thrown out there. It's just like she's simultaneously goofy and inspirational. She's super relatable um, and she doesn't take herself too seriously. Um, But I think one of the things that I love most about working out with her is um, that she is quick to say, no ego amigo and if you need to uh modify because something's too hard or um you know uh if if you do want to give it your absolute best and you're you're going ham either way you just get the sense that she would support you 100 percent um and i always love to hear it's like coming home to hear her say um you can do hard things how do i know Cause you're doing them right now. And I'm like, yes, I am. I can. <laughs> so I love her. Yeah. I, I mean, I feel like things that I said about everyone before her, they all could be said for her. Um, I just like, I feel like she could do anything and she would be great. Like she could be a saleswoman. She could be president. I, <laughs> anything on the planet, And I just think she has like the right attitude and approach and 
as a marketer, I just appreciate like kind of the marketing she brings to it. Like, I think she does this better than most is that like, she has things like you said, no ego amigo. She does sexy transition, uh, sweat angel glazed donut look, right? (laughs) Like we, we could probably go on and like, how many other instructors have that? And so you relate these little sayings to someone, it just kind of keeps them top of mind. And it just shows me like how smart she is, how good she is at her job. Yeah. Well, that was fun going through (laughs) our top five Peloton instructors. We're almost to the end here. We just have a couple more quick games. Um, This next game is called the recommender. So I'm going to ask three very simple questions and it's, your opportunity to recommend something to us, uh, to the audience. So first, what are you watching right now? (laughs) Um, wow. Well, it's summer. So the reality TV is real right now. Um, there's a lot of it and I feel like it will go in direct opposition to anything else you ask me around what sort of media I'm consuming, but I'm really enjoying kind of the brainless activity (laughs) of watching, um, reality TV of all sorts. Any no specific ones, just in general. No, I want to to keep my dignity. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. I don't blame you. I know some of them. Um, That you watch with me. Yeah. Well, yeah. Maybe I'm not as into them as you, but, you know, I can admit when I am, you know, Mm -hmm. we'll we'll keep them nameless. Um, (laughs) What are you listening to right now? Could be podcast or music. Yeah, I'm going to answer podcasts. So I'm on a new kick of um, listening to podcasts on investing um, by women for women. And to throw a couple out there, um, I love uh, her first 1000K. Tori is really cool. I have enjoyed listening to Girls That Invest um, by Sim and Sonia and they're out in um, New Zealand. So I love a good accent. Um, And that's been really eye-opening. I I really enjoyed uh, learning a little bit more about financial feminism. Cool. And the last one, are you reading anything? Was there any books or anything online that you've read that you might recommend? Mm, That's a good question. Anyone who knows me and has asked me about reading knows that I love British chick lit. Um, I'm not reading any of those currently, um, but I would say what's like a good or eye-opening thing I've read recently. Since we talked about work, I will recommend my favorite work-related book, which is called Belonging at Work by Rhodes Perry. Um, This was a book that really changed the trajectory of my career when I started moving a little bit away from employee experience to um, employee engagement and inclusion um, and really kind of starting to dissect what actually does go into 
creating a place where someone wants to work, where they can bring their full selves and um, thrive and not waste precious capacity covering. Um, and it, it's a really great book. It's really digestible. And if you are interested in leading inclusively or leading with empathy in any capacity, because anybody can do that, whatever their role is, I would highly recommend it. it was, it's really great. Awesome. Okay, well, thanks for those recommendations. We are on to our last and final game, and this should be interesting. Uh, this game is called Old Tweets. And this oh, is no. where I dug up some old tweets of yours to get you to repent for your sins. Um, let's see what we have. And all you have to do is explain what was going on in that tweet. Okay? Okay. Okay. Yeah, ready? I'm ready. Okay. First tweet is from January 2014, and it says, the amount of times I've read USMNT as US Mutant Ninja Turtles <laughs> in the past few days is staggering. That's pretty funny. You gotta give me that one. Uh, do you know what USMNT is now? Yeah, US Med Soccer Team. Wait. What? <laughs> Wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. What was it? US... Mutant MNT Ninja Turtles. What is that? U.S. Men's, men's National, National Team. Yeah, that's what I. Yeah, that's what I said. Right? No, you said soccer team. Oh, Men's <laughs> National <laughs> Team. <laughs> men's Team right. of Soccer. S on that's the right. end. The second tweet is from September 2016, and it says, "Dinner: chocolate chip cookie dough. Dessert: chocolate chip cookies." <laughs> Doesn't, Could have been written today. I was going to say that doesn't sound too uh, far from today. All right. And the last one is from October 2013. And it says, how much money do you think I can make before hashtag Halloween by selling decorative headstones that say died of excessive twerking? Oh, my gosh. What a relic from the past. That's dumb. Delete. <laughs> Are you going to delete that one? <laughs> Yeah, undo. Well, they can't all be winners. I just want everyone to know there's a reason I don't use Twitter anymore. And this is part of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, certainly don't blame you. Um, Grace, thank you for doing this with me. You are an amazing wife, a wonderful mom. You are so much more than the work that you do. And I thank you for loving me and for coming on today thank you thank you for letting me be your guest and um i'm proud of you for trying this out i love you <laughs> i'll see you in a few minutes <laughs> great all right bye 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 thank you to grace for joining us on our first episode i forgot to mention it but if you want to follow grace you can follow her on instagram at grace says smile that's grace says smile no underlines or anything like that spelled just like you would think and that is on instagram and lastly thank you to you for for listening and checking us out i uh, appreciate you just getting this far in the show if you liked it you know go ahead and do us a solid subscribe rate review the show i'm reminded of a doordash delivery i had once and the guy dropped the food off at the door and when I came to the door to get it, he was still there. And he just said, 
five star review please and i thought that was like great marketing i had been told to give a review before but never to give a five star review and i just felt like that call to action was very specific and it didn't leave any wiggle room for me to you know waffle on what the review was it's just like hey you told me to give him a five star i'm gonna give him a five star so i think i'll try that here and see how that works go ahead and give us a five star review you know whether you liked it or not hopefully you did but go ahead even if you've never left a review before give us a five star review this could be your first review we don't care again really appreciate you checking this out if if you thought you know the concept was cool but it was a little bit of a tough listen hopefully you'll come back you know this is just our first attempt so i intend for this to get better in all aspects of podcasting uh, that's the hope right this is the first go around so things should improve from here if you are interested in being on the podcast or want to help or just have a question or comment don't hesitate to reach out to me i'm at brandon fleshman on twitter again just like it sounds um, at brandon fleshman if you're listening to this you're likely already following me so i appreciate you but if you're not follow me or dm me let me know who you'd like to see on the show or even if that's you happy to field all requests um, because i currently have zero so it'd be great to hear from you that's it that's the show i hope you enjoyed it i hope you'll stick around and listen to some more and i want to leave you with this one reminder that you are more than what you do Thank you.